0: Many of you will likely not have the experience of standing here on a Sunday morning and praying, at least leading the prayer, but I can tell you it's one of my favorite things to do on Sunday. It's a real delight, and I thank you for praying along with me and with each other. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. This morning we're coming to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. This continues the series of sermons that we're preaching from Luke 1 and 2. You will hear more from Luke 1 and 2 in this coming week, first on Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning. This morning we're reading Mary's song of praise after she visits Elizabeth and she sees that Elizabeth is also expecting her faith confirmed and then she says these words from Luke chapter 1 verse 46. Please read along with me. These are the words of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of our Lord. October 2nd of 2006 seemed like most days at this small school in rural Pennsylvania. About 10.30 that morning, A pickup truck backed up to the front door of that small school, and the children, at least some of them, could look out and see the driver get out. As he left his truck and came into the building, he asked the teacher and the students if they had seen a missing clevis pin that he believed he had lost the day before. The children and the teacher said, sorry, we don't know. What you're talking about, we haven't seen it, and the man left. Only the man didn't leave. A few minutes later, he came back with a handgun and ordered some of the boys to carry in lumber, a shotgun, wire, chains, nails, tools, metal eye hooks, candles, plastic zip ties, along with a small duffel bag in which he had a change of clothing. And what happened next was heard around the world. The man barricaded himself inside of the school building, releasing everyone but 10 of the girls, and eventually shot and killed five of them before turning the gun on himself and him personally leaving behind a wife and three children. It's a very sad story. Maybe you remember it. But the reason that you might remember it. Is that that's not the end of the story? By that evening, the parents of those five slain girls had gone to this man's wife and his parents, and they had told his wife and this man's parents that they forgive them, that they mourned with them, that they had also lost a husband, a father, a son, and they grieved. Three young children had lost someone very important to them. And later, when there were funerals, 30 members of that church community went to the shooter's funeral and they invited the widow of the shooter to attend the funerals of their daughters. Around the world, people wondered how in the world could this Christian community, this Amish community, respond with such grace and forgiveness in such a Horrible situation when someone responded with such violence to them. How could they be so kind? How could they let go of the desire for revenge? How could they so quickly offer kindness to the family of a man who had hurt them so badly and even permanently? How could they be so humble? The answer I have for you this morning is economics. And I don't mean economics in the narrow sense of the word, that is how money flows through society, but I mean economics in the general sense of the world word about how things work in this world, specifically how things work within the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, in the economics of the kingdom of God, God works greatness through what we would not expect, that is Humility. In a world in which our children are told, if you do not stand up for yourself, you do not promote yourself, if you do not take care of yourself, no one will. In the Christian community, we tell our children, we inculcate in the very fabric of their soul that what matters not is how you can promote yourself, but rather how you can humbly serve your God. And these parents had told their children. And these children looked at their parents and they saw people for whom that humility was true. And they saw in the Christian faith the reality of what we're going to talk about this morning that God moves greatness through the humble. And in this song, you see a great reversal for how the world ordinarily works. It's not the proud. It's not the strong. It's not those who promote themselves. No, this teenage girl sings a song. This humble young woman sings a song in which greatness is brought through humility. This morning as I preach this to you, I have a pastoral objective in doing so. My objective is that you would learn to sing along with Mary. The form of this passage is a song. It's not meant simply for theological reflection, although we certainly can do that. The point of this song is that you would learn to sing along with Mary, how wonderful is our God that he brings greatness through the humble. And I would be thrilled this morning as you left or as you sing after I'm finished with this sermon, it would be more than your mind that is moved To want to appreciate this truth, your heart is also stirred to want to sing and be joyful in the way that God works. I want to talk about the economy of the kingdom, that God brings greatness to the lowly in three ways this morning. The first is rather simple. You'll see that that economy is personal. In verses 46 through 49, that economy is personal. You will not be surprised in these four verses that Mary is singing based on reflection of what has happened in her life. God has done a profound thing. She heard from an angel that she would be the one through whom the Messiah would come. And then she went to visit her relative Elizabeth because God had said she will also have a child. And Mary comes and sees that in fact Elizabeth is expecting a child. And Mary cannot help but rejoice. And there are some very particular things that Mary says in this song that make this song of joy so important for her personally, and I want to point them out. There are three things. First, she stresses in verse 46, that my soul and my spirit rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you've heard that so many times, it doesn't have much of an effect on you. But it would be the way of saying, we might sing, say to our children when they're singing, practicing after this morning's service, or when they sing tonight, or maybe Ginger will say to one of you to, as you're practicing for tonight's service, sing from your heart. This isn't just about the words that are coming out of you. Sing like they matter. These words are that important. That's what Mary is expressing. What I'm singing, rejoicing about, comes from my heart. This is deeply personal. It's not simply some truth. This is truth that I have seen that matters and transforms. The reason she sings from her heart is because verse 40 says, 48 says God has been gracious and looking upon his lowly servant. And Mary calls herself a bondwoman, literally, or a female slave. She is intentionally describing the lowliness, the humility of her position. The lowly estate would ordinarily be used. It's the language found in other places in the Bible to describe a woman who was barren who wanted so badly to have a child, she would consider herself lowly. But Mary, even though she's expecting... Uses the same language to say, I am naturally empty in myself, but God is great. He is powerful. So even though I am lowly, I take joy in who God is. The second way in which Mary contrasts her lowliness with the greatness of God is in the words that she chooses to use throughout this song. You may not recognize this, but this song has an immediate parallel in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. Quick question, do you know what's found in that passage? Maybe not. It's the song that Hannah offers, a woman who is barren, when Samuel was born. She uses the same intro that Mary uses here. Now here's the interesting thing. Not only does Mary borrow the words of Hannah to sing and sing for joy that God is doing a great thing in her, but literally every phrase that comes in this song is taken from the Old Testament somewhere. She is singing the words of God back to him. She's saying over and over, God, you have given these words to your people in the Old Testament to talk about your greatness. And now I see that the words that you spoke in the Old Testament are true. They were true in the Old Testament and they're true in my circumstance. This is the way you have always worked and now I can see you working here in me in this way. Praise the Lord. I take joy in what you have always done and now what you are doing also in me. Great things through a humble person. And the third way in which he emphasizes the personal nature of this great economy of the kingdom is something that may be a little difficult for you to see, but I want to explain it to you because it's so important. You'll notice in these first two verses that there are two words that talk about rejoicing. Rejoicing. The first word about rejoicing is to magnify or to make great. And that's a word that is used in the present. In other words, I am rejoicing. I am making you great right now, God. The second time she says rejoicing, it is not in the present. It's almost like a verb that is used to describe a snapshot, something that has happened and you can see it, it's vivid in your mind. When you take these two together, what Mary is saying is not only is she rejoicing now, she is saying this is just the beginning of the rejoicing that is going to go on and on and on and on and on forever. Forever story of Jesus and the joy resulting from His entrance into the world, that God works great things through the humble, through the unexpected, through the lowly. This singing, this joy, Mary says, will go on for generations because God is not only doing it now, He will do it forever. The emphasis here is on the power of God to work for His people the emphasis is on, on, is, is on his power, not on her. The emphasis is on how great God works for his people. In fact, you'll notice in her song, she talks about God as holy. In this context, she's not referring primarily to him holy morally, although God is certainly holy. In a moral sense, apart from all sin, that is absolutely true. But he's not referring to God's holiness in the moral quality here. She is referring to God as holy in the more general sense that he is set apart, that he is great, that his almighty power is far above anyone else. And of all the amazing things that God chooses to do in this world, he is bringing His son through this lowly woman. That's the economy of the kingdom, Mary says, and she could see it very clearly. The second way you can see this economy at work in this song of praise is not only is it personal, it's also pervasive. Look in your Bibles at verses 50 through 53. It says His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. It goes on forever. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. You notice the reversal of all the expectation the rich do not go away full. No, they go away hungry. Those who are poor go away full. Those who are powerful, are they raised up? No, they're torn down. Those who are humble are exalted. The only explanation for this is that it is God who is at work. This is not the natural expectation that we have. No, this is the way God works. In fact, this mercy that is mentioned in these verses is the mercy that is found in the Old Testament referring almost always to God's faithfulness, faithfulness in His covenant to His people. And what Mary is singing is that what she has experienced personally, that is that God brings greatness to humility, it's not only for her that it is true. This is the way God has worked for generation after generation through the Old Testament, in her life, into the New Testament, and I can say even now. God is not looking to do great things simply by the greatness of our strength. No, Mary says, God does great things through the humble. But it's simply Mary is saying this economy is pervasive. It has always worked this way because He uses this economy to reverse our expectations. The way the kingdom of God works is that He expects to do things that we would not. And then the third way I want you to see that this economy, this doing great things through the humble, it's not only personal and pervasive, it's also proven. You can see that in verses 54 and 55. The last few verses describe the way that God treated His Old Testament people Israel. She goes back to the Old Testament in order to say, this is not only true for me, And this is not only the way that God has always worked, but this is the way we can see God working in our forefathers in the Old Testament. I simply want to remind you the way that God describes the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, he says, I did not set my love on you because you were greater than all others, because you were more numerous, because you were more powerful than others. No, he said, I set my love on you Because I desire to. Because you were ones I had determined to set my love upon. If you look over the history of the nation of Israel, you will know they were never considered a world power. They were not the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans. They were a small country and a slice of the Middle East that was often under the control of another power. And yet it was through this little nation, these small people, the ones God says in Deuteronomy, He did not choose because of their great power. These are the ones that God did and does use. He works greatness through humility. Which leads me, having explained this song of joy, to two things I want to say to you. I want to make a historical application and then a rather personal application to you as you listen to this sermon. The historical application may seem to you to be a bit far-fetched at first, so I want to explain it to you. And I want to read a quote from a man who was not friendly to Christianity at all. In fact, he was opposed to it. Friedrich Nietzsche said that Christianity, quote, has taken the part of all the weak, the low, the botched, It is made an ideal out of antagonism to the self-preservation instincts of sound life. Do you hear that? Nietzsche, when describing the pity that Christians have for the low, for the poor, for those who are struggling, for those who need help, he said Christianity actually does humanity a disservice Because instead of letting those who are lowly and weak and need help simply go the way that all nature says they ought to go, that is, they just disappear. No, into history come these Christians who historically took children who were wanted by no one else, established hospitals to care for those who were sick, who gave food to the hungry, who visited those in prison, he said Christianity Christianity is distinguished by their desire to help those who are not strong. And I would say to you brothers and sisters this is not only true historically this is the very nature of Christianity. It is at the core of the incarnation that out of weakness God brings strength. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 He says, but God chooses what appears to be foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us "'Wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, "'so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord.'" Historically, it is true, and I want to emphasize for this again, I want to emphasize for you this point again. God intentionally seeks to offend the powers of this age. The way the church works is unlike any other organization because who we are is defined by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even the way that we view power and influence and authority is affected by the incarnation. God changes from the inside out. He changes through grace and forgiveness rather than manipulation and raw power. And because of that, we inculcate Because of the Incarnation, we inculcate virtues of kindness and mercy and humility. Which brings me to my personal application. This is not only true in history, my friends. This must be true for each person who follows after Jesus Christ. If Christ came in weakness so that the glory, the strength of God would be magnified. Then the same should be true in us. I want to make a particular application to the way that we think about our children. That was hinted at in the story that I used to open this sermon, but as I come near to the end, I want to apply that very specifically. We tell our children all kinds of things. I can remember my mom saying to me when I was very young, Jeffrey. She always called me Jeffrey. You can do anything you want to do. The world is open to you. I'm not sure that was technically true, but it was her way of voicing confidence in me that I could. We are in favor, perhaps, of saying similar things to our children. Succeed, try hard, work hard, do your best. All those things are good. I'm in no way discrediting that kind of encouragement to use the best that we have for the service of Christ. But behind that desire to do our very best ought to lay a spirit that is rooted in humility. I'm not here simply to serve myself or to take for myself as much as I can gain. That is contrary to the nature of the gospel Instead, Jesus came, as Mark says, not to be served, but to serve and to offer himself as a ransom for many. He came to give of himself. And friends, the nature of the incarnation that our God gives of himself in order to save those who are unworthy calls us as followers of Jesus Christ to give ourselves ourselves in the service to others. It may be someone in our home. It may be our children, our spouse. It may be our neighbor, our community, our world. That the Christian faith would be marked by the song of Mary that rings for the age. That God works great things through the humble. Maybe God has called you in your particular place to be at the very height of your occupation. Maybe you're maybe you're the world's best and greatest, mother or father. Maybe you succeed in some avocation, a way almost no one else has, praise the Lord that is good. But may in the hearts that beats in your chest, the motivation that you have, be rooted in the song that Mary sings. That my soul rejoices in the Lord. Who takes the lowly and through them works great things. Our God has done that in Jesus Christ. And now he calls us as followers of our Savior Jesus to have, as Paul says in Philippians 2, the same mind that was in Jesus our Savior. Sing, rejoice, be glad. In what God, our Savior, has done. Amen. Father, it is not important for us to see ourselves as the strong, as the powerful, as those who can give. Instead, it is more important for us to see ourselves as your servants, to love you above all else and our neighbor as ourselves. We confess, as we have already done this morning, that is contrary to our nature. We do believe, often in the heart of hearts, that if we don't take it for ourselves, no one will give it to us. And we do pray for justice, we want justice as the prophets said, to rain down. But in the pursuit of justice, may we never seek vengeance. Because that belongs to you. Instead, teach us to look at all of life from the perspective of our Savior Jesus Christ with the humility that is palatable. Forgive us when we have lacked that. When in our pride... We believe others don't treat us the way that we deserve. Or even worse, Lord, when we call out to you or we harbor in our heart and our mind that somehow you have treated us unfairly. Instead, we pray that you would give us that heart of our Savior Jesus by his Spirit to walk after you not only in faithfulness, but faithfulness in this regard, that we would be truly humble. Father, we are so thankful for the economy of your kingdom. And so we rejoice and sing to you in joy for the great things you have done. For we offer this to you in Jesus' name, amen.